genuine faith should not be blind faith. In these segments of Why I Believe, we're going to explore genuine evidence for genuine faith. Hi, and welcome back to Why I Believe. My name is Christian, and once again, I'm delighted to be joined in the studio by Michael and Brad. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you, Christian. Thanks, Good Christian. to be back. Now, we've been continuing our series on basic reasons why the average person with uh, at least half a brain would believe in the Bible, and also what the Bible says about some basic questions, themes, topics. Um, in our last session together, we spent some time looking at um, not only who Jesus is, uh, but the idea of what Jesus longs and desires to do in our lives, and that was salvation. Now, salvation has two phases. One is God saving us from uh, our selfishness in the very present, making us more loving, more caring, like him in character, making us better members of society, better family members, better colleagues at work, better in our community. But the second aspect of salvation has to do with what we often talk about in Christian circles as eternal life. What does eternal life mean? What does it look like? When is that going to happen? Not the floating on the cloud bit? Well, is there a harp? <laughs> what does that look like? When is it coming? We're going to look at those sorts of questions over the next few sessions. Mm -hmm. But the first one we're looking at is the idea of Jesus coming back when eternal life is supposed to begin. Now, there are all sorts of theories about what Christians call the second coming. Mm -hmm. The first coming being when Jesus was born in a manger in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. The second coming is when he comes back from heaven. Is it going to be a spiritual event? Is it going to be a physical event? Is it going to be a secret event? Is it going to be an event at all? Um, could it be like, as some people claim, the second coming is is Jesus being in our lives and transforming our characters? Mm. What does the Bible have to say about the second coming? So we're going to explore that together, and then we're going to ask ourselves another question, I guess, halfway through our discussion today. Why does it even matter? Mm. So why don't we start by looking at the Bible, we're going to go to John in the New Testament, one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and we're going to read chapter 14, verse 1 to 3 there. This is Jesus talking to his disciples, and it's a really good place to start because this is Jesus what, during his first coming to earth, talking mm. about his second coming. Uh, Michael, we'll start with you. Why don't you read those first three verses there, please? Sure. I'm reading from the ESV. It says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Okay, now, very simple, basic question. Why does Jesus start with, let not your hearts be troubled, or don't be afraid, as it says in some translations, or don't worry? That was all about what he was talking to you before before that, wasn't it? Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is just before Jesus was about to be crucified. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he knew that the disciples were feeling gonna pretty be, worried. Well, they were going to have their faith tested by mm. what was about to happen. Yeah, yeah. He's told them he's leaving them. Yep, that too. One is he's dying. Two, he's leaving and he's not going to be back for a while. But don't be worried. But don't be worried. <laughs> uh, why not? What's the good news that Jesus shares with his disciples and I guess all of us who choose to follow him? I'm coming back. Yeah. Does this sound like a spiritual kind of event? What sense do you get as you read this very straightforward passage? Well, not if he's trying to reassure them. I mean, it, like, I wouldn't have felt very assured if that's if I was his disciple and that's what it meant back, you know, as he was sharing it to them in that first place. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah, if he said, you know, you're going to experience a warm and fuzzy, so don't be afraid, yep. <laughs> that's not really comforting. No. no. You know, he says, hey, I I'm going, 
but I'm coming back. Um, they see him as he is, and I guess reading that quite clearly, they're expecting him to come back mm-hmm. the same way. What we're going to do is quickly look at a couple of other passages that describe this coming or this second return of Jesus to earth. They give us some insights uh, around what that event will be like. Let's go to Matthew chapter 16, verse 27. This is the first book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 16, verse 27. Brad, would you like to read that for us, please? Yep. For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of the Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. Okay. How does it describe this event? Well, he's coming with his angels Mm -hmm. in all the glory of the Father, which we kind of know is a lot of glory. So (laughs) it'll be something pretty obvious and extraordinary. Yeah, bright, loud, Mm. majestic. Mm. And if it was to be some sort of personal or private affair, Mm. uh, well, then the very concept of coming back with all of his angels... (laughs) Yeah, kind of doesn't, doesn't really work. It doesn't really make sense. This sounds yeah. like a huge celebration. It sounds mm. like a massive party, and Jesus is not leaving anybody behind up in heaven to come and witness and, and experience uh, this fantastic event. Um, let's go to Daniel chapter 2, verse 44 to 45. Now, in Daniel, we've read in one of our previous discussions this prophecy that outlines world empires right through to the end of time. And the last empire that is to take place is the one that we read here in these verses. We're going to just review that again. Uh, over to you, Michael. In, starting in verse 44, And in the days of those kings, meaning the, the, the kings like in the toes of feet and iron and clay, as we studied the other time, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what this, um, what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation sure. Okay, so it talks about these earthly kingdoms, which we have explored in a previous session. You can listen to it again online. Um, and it essentially says that there's all these kingdoms, and eventually God is the one that will establish a kingdom. Mm. What happens to the other kingdoms? Destroyed and finished. They're not around anymore. No. So at Jesus' second coming, at his return, it will be a, really a final event. After that, there are no more earthly, corrupt, selfish, self-centered kingdoms. It is only the kingdom of Jesus. So do you think that if that happened today, where all these, you know, I guess corrupt nations and empires and kingdoms sort of just disappeared and all of a sudden there was a fantastic kingdom of love, do you think people would notice? Maybe. You'd hope so. I I think they would, you know. Uh, So this event is something that is loud, it's majestic, it's glorious, and it's 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 changing the roadmap of the whole political face of the earth. Absolutely. You can't miss it. If society was to change instantly, you wouldn't miss it. Let's go to Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7. A few more insights there um, about how, you know, the average person like you and I are going to experience this event. Revelation chapter 1 verse 7. Over to you, Brad. Look, he comes in the clouds of heaven and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Amen. Okay. Now, this is a bit of a a, a confusing text because it has some good things and some, some sad things. First of all, how many people are going to see him when he comes back? Everyone. It actually says everyone. Yep. Um, and then on the one hand, that's good news. On the other hand, there are a lot of people weeping and crying. Um, what we find in Revelation, just to explain that on the side, is that when he talks about 
those who choose to follow Jesus, it talks about them as the saints, and those who reject Jesus as those of the world or those of, of the nations. Uh, so for those who choose to follow Jesus, it's going to be a really positive event. Mm-hmm. Those who have turned their back on him, well, they don't see it in such a positive light. And we'll come back to that in a, in a little bit, but just quickly, why it's, don't you think they're excited? Well, they've, that's not part of their game plan, is it? Like they don't, they're not ready for, ready for this massive disruption to their lives as they've been living it for starters. Mm, absolutely. And you know, it's interesting, the kingdom that Jesus preached about, talked about, shared, and really exemplified through his life was a completely selfless kingdom. Mm-hmm. And so if all of your life, all you think about is me, myself, and I, mm-hmm. um, having to experience or be in a place where, where everybody and you only think about others is probably quite foreign and uncomfortable and not exactly exciting. Imagine you've lived this on this earth, 80, 90 years, accumulating wealth and, and, and things and power and, and all of that, and then towards the end of it, it all finishes and it's worth nothing. I think there's a lot of people that have gone through that. <laughs> and that's exactly what the Bible describes. Mm. You know, they will, they will, they're not going to be excited about this. They're going to weep because everything that they've depended on, mm. themselves, their wealth, their ability, their talents, don't essentially have value in, in eternity. You know, I think another aspect to this, other parts of the Bible describes the that um, just before his coming, there'll be like a fairly intense battle and I think a lot of people will find they've been on the wrong side. Mm. And so, you know, when, when he comes and they realize, hey, I've actually been fighting on the wrong side, that's a, that's a pretty shocking place to find yourself on, mm. isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Let's go to Matthew chapter 24, and we're just going to read Jesus um, talking up, um, talking about um, something that we just read in Revelation, but I just want to emphasize this. This is really important, and I'll stress why after we read these verses. Matthew chapter 24. Michael, would you like to read verse 27 and 30? Yeah. Do you want anything to the context of this? Because the context is actually... Tell us about the context. Yeah, That's look, really the, good. The verse before is just um, people are saying, look, hey, look, he's over here. He's in this secret room. He's over mm. there. And um, that's where that's the context of what he, um, he's, he's just told them in the tail end of verse 26. Um, if someone says, look, he's in the inner room, don't believe it. And then here in verse 27, for as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. And then down in verse 30, then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. What is so important about the context that you just mentioned and then how Jesus addresses that idea where people say, oh, look, Jesus is in New York, Jesus is in London, Jesus is in Sydney, Melbourne, Hobart. Uh, <laughs> well, part of it, I mean, he, t- he talks um, about it like people trying to counterfeit his coming. He talks mm. about false Christ, false prophets, and he's trying to make it pretty clear that, um, you know, these are some of the sorts of things that will be, you know, people might try and pull the wool over your eyes. But he's saying, ah, it's not going to be like that. It's going to be like everyone's going to see it. It's not a hidden thing at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, how many how many stories have you read in the news of people who claim to be God and they amass their big group of followers and it turns out to be a suicide cult or something like that? And, and they're always these secret little groups, you know, whereas Jesus is saying here, if someone tells you that I'm in a secret little group, no, that's not, that's not it. Absolutely. I'm going to be very obvious when I come back, mm-hmm. like a, a flash of lightning. Everyone notices it. Absolutely. And even if they tell you that they're very open in public, but they just happen to be somewhere else. <laughs> um, 
Jesus makes it very clear not to be deceived. In fact, five or six times in Matthew chapter uh, 24 there, it talks about don't be deceived. Mm. Watch out for false prophets, false messiahs. Um, when he comes, everybody will see him at the same time. Mm. Does that defy the laws of physics? It is, it, like, I mean, if, if you'd been talking a generation ago before, like, um, media, worldwide media coverage, you'd say yes. Mm. <laughs> Nowadays, we can sort of get it because mm. we sort of, you know, something happens in one place in the world and it gets broadcast mm. there. But as far as actually physically being able to see something all around, that still does, just seems to defy physics. <laughs> it does. We're starting to get inklings into that about bending lights and yeah. that sort of thing. But that's not the point. No. You know, God <laughs> who created the laws of physics is not bound no. by the laws of physics. Um, what is really pertinent to these verses we've read in Revelation and Matthew is that everybody will see him. Now, there are some people who have this idea that Jesus will come in secret and only some will see him, but that's not biblical. Again and again in the Bible, Jesus says it's physical, it's real, it's loud, it's visible, and it's visible by everybody. Everybody and, on earth will experience and it. And I don't believe that you could claim that just by televising it around the world is enough to actually um, claim that it's being like to fulfillment of what he's saying here. No, and we're going to look at some other passages right after the break that share some other details, uh, which mean that the idea of televising it just doesn't cut it. No. It's far bigger, far grander than that. We'll be back right after the break. You say love is just a word Just four letters in a row Just a thing that people say Or they never tell you so And you used every excuse to let nobody in Now this cloud you bring around Has become your only friend And everybody's saying that it's gonna go away But it don't go And everybody's telling you one day It's gonna change but you don't know If it's really gonna end But there is a way, there is a spark there is a hope that you can hold on to There is a lifeline come to the rescue Just like a hand that's waiting for you And if you believe in this I promise that you won't be alone There is a way The truth and the life and the way What if love became a man If the word had and bone, would you recognize his face if he came to bring you home? You think you're all alone, gotta do it on your own, riding solo. Is there someone you can call when you stumble and fall? Cause you don't know if you'll be getting up again. But there is a way, there is a spark, there is a hope that you can hold on. There is a lifeline come to the rescue Just like a hand that's waiting for you And if you believe in this I promise that you won't be alone There is a way The truth and the life and the way Don't you think your life's worth saving? Don't you want 
I believe we're talking about Jesus' second coming, his second appearance on earth after following the obvious first one that we celebrate every Christmas. We've talked about a couple of things. Every eye will see Jesus. It's going to be loud. It's going to be glorious. He's not coming on his own. He's coming in in the glory, the majesty, the splendor, the brightness of the Father, and he's coming with friends. He's coming with the angels of heaven. So whatever this is, it's not going to be some secret event. What happens when he gets close to earth? Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17. Now, Paul is writing a letter to the church in Thessalonica over here. And the people there are starting to get a bit worried. It's been a few years since Christianity reached their city. It's been a few years since many of them become became Christian. It's been a few years now, and some of the Christians, or the first Christians, are starting to die, and they're worried. We thought Jesus was coming really soon. What's going to happen to us? Mm. Paul gives them the good news about Jesus' soon return, and comforting news even about those who might have died while being Christians or being true and faithful to Jesus. Brad, would you like to read First Thessalonians chapter 4, 16 to 17, please? For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. First, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet God in the air. Then we will be with Jesus forever. What is this telling us about what happens when Jesus returns? Well, it's pretty specific. Like, there's a lot of specific details. Mm. It's like talking about him actually descending coming like coming down mm-hmm. it talks about a loud cry it talks about like a trumpet like um you know the trumpet of god being noisy sounded, noisy mm-hmm. yeah it, it does make these sort of distinctions between it's not just that everyone will see mm. it's that everyone will hear it yes. as yes. well yes and i imagine like if it's if it's like the how we talked about before with everyone seeing a bolt of lightning you feel the thunder as well mm. so yeah i imagine Ooh. it'll be 
very obvious. Multisensory. We, we, we yep. joke about things being, oh, that was loud enough to wake the dead. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well. <laughs> this is loud enough to wake the dead, literally, yes, but yes. not just because of it's loud, but... Yes. Yeah. Now, it says that um, we... Or what happens to the dead who are in Christ or those who died faithful to Jesus? What happens to those? Come back to life. They come back to life. Literally, the dead are woken to life. And it says that they're taken up in the air. What does that imply about where Jesus is? That he's not on the earth. It's a very strong implication, isn't it? And then it talks about those who are alive and faithful to Jesus. What happens to them? Well, after the, like, and it's interesting, the order as well. Mm. It's making clear as though, you know, just because you're alive, you're not going to get a head start. That's right. In fact, it's going to be a bit of a first and last sort of thing. So those who are raised will go up first and Mm -hmm. then us who are alive. Yeah. So it clearly implies that Jesus isn't coming back to earth to spend a little bit of time, you know, interacting with his friends here, setting world affairs in order, blah, blah, blah. He's in the air and he's taking us up. We're caught up with him and then we go to be where he is. We go to heaven. There's a whole another story about well, what about the kingdom on earth? We'll come to that in another topic. Um, but but this is not the time for that now. This isn't. This is <laughs> yeah. just looking at what happens at the second coming. At yeah, no, that sorry, what I mean is this is not the time that that's happening no, at the second coming. That's absolutely. pretty clear. That kingdom on earth, that's coming mm, later. Yeah. And we'll read about that in Revelation. But at the second coming, the very thing that is, is happening is the dead and the living who follow and believe Jesus uh, raised to heaven to meet him there. And then they go to be with the Lord where he is in in heaven. Yep. Well, I mean, if that's not a very explicit, obvious sign of God coming back, I don't know what it is. It's very direct, isn't it? Yep. No symbols, nothing masked to try to f- have to figure out or decode. Yep. Let's go to Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10 to 13. A lot of people ask, well, when is it happening? Um, now, we've read previously in the Bible that Jesus taught his disciples, nobody knows the exact date or the hour. This passage here talks about something else to do with secrecy, and I think sometimes people confuse this passage with everything else that we've read about Jesus' second coming. Why don't you read that, Michael, and then we'll discuss that. You've asked for 10 to 13, but I once again think verse 9 actually is a lot of context. Is that all right? Please do. Because he's saying in verse 9 how that, um, because people, it's like what you're saying about the disciples, people people saying, hey, look, this is happening slowly, and it says in verse 9, God is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some people count slowness, but he is actually patient. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but wants everyone to come to repentance. So that's the context for it. And then in verse 10, it says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Okay, thank you for the context, Michael. Always important to read a little bit around the passages that we read. Um, Now, I've had some good friends that read this passage and say, here it says Jesus is coming as a thief. Now, how does a thief normally come? You don't expect them. You don't expect them. So first, it's a surprise. If the thief told you what time they were coming, you'd you'd be prepared. Mm. A thief also comes in secret in the context that you don't normally see them. If you saw a thief, it wouldn't be good for you or for the thief, would it? No. 
And in fact, if, if they're armed, if they're armed, if you see a thief, I'd encourage you to run, leave the house, get out of there, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? And so some people confuse these two aspects. One is the timing is a surprise, mm. and two, their coming or appearance is in secret. But how do we know just from this passage that the timing is a surprise, but the coming is not in secret? Well, verse nine, it's kind of the context there was like they were saying, you know. Some people are saying he's slow to come, but hey, it's it's actually going to come as a surprise. So it says it will come as a surprise, and when it when he does come, how does it describe what will actually happen when he comes? <laughs> Pretty noisy again. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if what is described there could possibly happen in secret. Everything mm. physical burning up secretly. Mm. If the earth happened to melt, I'm pretty certain, unless Fire. you're dead. Yep. You wouldn't, you, you know, you'd know that something was wrong, right? Yep. There's nothing to, to walk on. There's no, no. earth. Um, so it's obvious just from this passage that when Jesus comes, it will be a surprise. Nobody knows when. And many people will be surprised. Even the Christians won't know exactly the time, the day, the hour. Jesus said that. None mm. of us know. If someone starts to tell you, you know, I think he's coming, you know, November 13, 2021, we know it's not true. Because absolutely nobody knows. The very time or the only time any human will know that Jesus is coming is when? When it happens. When it happens. When, it happens. Yep. <laughs> when they see him. That's right. And by then, it's a little bit too late to make any predictions, right? Because it's or an afterthought. To, or to change sides, as we were saying before. Or to change sides. Yeah. So it will definitely be a surprise. But when he comes, it's not going to be in secret. Mm. The earth will be dissolved. Yeah. It's just like any war, you know. There's always a build-up to it. And so even though you don't know exactly when the war is going to start, and you look at any of the world wars, the Korean War, the Vietnam War, anything like that, you don't know exactly when it's going to start, but the people in those areas were preparing because they, they saw the signs, they saw the build-up, they go, okay, this is going to happen. We don't know exactly when, but we're going to be ready to book it out of here or defend ourselves when it does happen. Absolutely. It's the same sort of context. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, some people ask the question, well, one, I'm dead, so how does Jesus, what will I look like? Who will I be? Um, what about if I was cremated? What happens to us? What do we become? What are we at that second coming? Because um, to be honest, I mean, I'm I'm feeling pretty good physically, but I can definitely think of some improvements I could use, yeah. uh, let alone once I get a little bit older, let alone once I pass into the grave and my family have decided to put me in a jar on the mantelpiece. <laughs> um, so let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51 to 54. 1 Corinthians in the New Testament there, a letter that Paul, uh, an apostle, a disciple of Jesus, shared with the church at Corinth. We're reading verse 51 to verse 54. And I think we're over to you, Brad. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment in the blink of an eye when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever and we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die, and mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. What does it say about us as human beings? What will happen to us at the second coming, dead or alive? Pretty radical change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting, it brings out the trumpet again. Because, mm -hmm. yeah, like that was mentioned in the other passage, and that's the, that's the moment that it'll happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's going to not just happen slowly, it's like a rapid twinkling of an eye just bang absolutely it's essentially the process of creation 
mm. happening again. Yep. Mm. Being recreated yeah. uh, in the perfect way God created us initially. Some people worry about being free-floating spirits on a cloud mm. with a golden <laughs> harp. Um, the Bible never talks about that. Again and again, the plan of salvation is restoration mm. to what we were intended to be. Adam mm. and Eve had a beautiful garden. They ate, they lived, they slept. They were physical beings. And mm. the second coming is the restoration of where we fell from, where we could have mm. and should have been had we not wandered off on a tangent. Mm. Um, you've mentioned again and again, Michael, this idea that it will be final. Um, I want to read a passage that confirms that and then discuss that a little bit. Revelation chapter 22, verse 11 to 12. There are many people who have the idea that when Jesus comes back, um, some people say he'll come back secretly. Others say even if he comes openly, uh, he'll give everybody a chance. He'll spend some time for a few years letting people know how good he is and they have a chance to get their act together. That's not biblical. You won't find that in the Bible. In fact, what we're about to read here is really clear about the finality of the second coming. Michael, would you like to read Revelation 22 verse 11 and 12? Starting in verse 11, let the evil doers still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. This is talking about the second coming, mm. not the third, not the fourth, not the seventh coming, but the second coming. What's Jesus' main point here right at the end of the Bible? How you are is how you are. Hmm. Yep, it's yep. not going to be. I mean, we've been told there's going to be a physical change, that mm -hmm. twinkling of an eye. That's. Um, mm. But as far as evil and good and yeah, character, character, yeah, life character. choices, eternal decisions. So yep. there's no twinkling of an eye, character transformation mm -hmm. happening here. Yeah. Now it's it feels really good to believe that at some point in time Jesus is going to come back and give us another chance to choose to do what is right. But the reality is, how many chances do we have? <laughs> Every single day is a mm. chance. Every yeah. day God speaks to us. His Holy Spirit convicts us through nature. We can see his, his amazing creativity, the fact that there is a God through friends, through family, through through churches, through media, mm. radio. Hey, there's a wonder of all things. <laughs> God speaks to us and gives us chance after chance. Yeah. Would another chance on top of a million chances really make a difference? It's a funny concept because mm. I, I know people who can turn around after reading this and go, oh, well, you know, clearly God's not being just when he comes back. Why should, you know, shouldn't he make it obvious that he's real and then everyone will believe and isn't that okay? But by all rights, in destroying every single thing, if he wanted to, God would still be just, mm. you know? And so, like you were saying, he's already giving us chance and chance and chance and chance. And if we actively make a decision to, to say, nah, nah, you know, I don't need that, that's still just for, mm. for God to make his decision mm. whenever he comes. Salvation, as we discussed in another one, is already pretty unfair. Not unfair yeah. in the sense, but it's like, it's not, certainly not what any of us deserve. Mm. But it's offered as a free gift, but the time is now. Absolutely. Now is the day of salvation. It's in another passage. Indeed, yeah. indeed. One final verse we're going to read together, Matthew chapter 24, verse 42 to verse 44. Uh, maybe, Brad, you can read that, and it just really ties in what we've been talking about and encourages us to take action today. So then you too must keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this, if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and he wouldn't permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. Mm. We just talked about that a few yeah. minutes ago. Mm. 
always be ready and make today um, the day where we allow Jesus to work in our lives mm. and allow him to transform us mm. um, and start allowing him to prepare us for eternity. Mm. Uh, not mm. tomorrow. Tomorrow's not mine. I don't know what will happen to me, to you, to any of us tomorrow. Um, if we delay that choice, we may find ourselves at one point in time mm. being part of that crowd that's, that's weeping and crying because we've rejected God long enough and there's nothing left that he can do for us. Mm. And accepting mm. God isn't, for a lot of people, it's not a complete change in absolutely everything straight away. It takes time, you know, but all you actually have to do, the first step is just accepting. And he's the one that carries out those changes. Exactly. But it's yeah. allowing him to start mm. working. Why don't we pray before we go? Um, there may well be someone listening today who has never actually let God have that chance and given him a chance in their life. It's not a hard thing to do to invite God to be a part, but he has promised to transform and change. Absolutely. Let's do that. Father in heaven, we thank you for the promise of Jesus' soon return. We thank you for hope of eternal life with you. We thank you that you long to not leave us behind, but to take everyone with you. We thank you that your second coming will be no secret, nothing hidden. And we thank you that each day you give us the opportunity to respond to your salvation. Lord, today... Um, There may be some who are listening who haven't surrendered their lives to you. They've been putting it off. But as they've been listening to the program, they know that there's no value in putting off accepting salvation one more day. Lord, may you come into their hearts, give them a desire, a willingness, and an openness to let you save them and to let you start working in their hearts, in their minds, in their characters to prepare them for salvation. Lord, may you bless them, may you keep them safe, and may they experience and sense you coming close to them as they accept you into their heart today. We thank you and come to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you've enjoyed Why I Believe, visit us at faithfm.com.au and contact us with any questions, thoughts, comments, opinions you may have. We'd love to be able to share those on air. Thank you for staying with us and we'll see you next time.